If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is Monday the 8th of June and I'll dive right in with my personal update. Well, the launch of the collaboration for authors is fast approaching. The book goes live on Friday 26th of June, which is a little shy of three weeks away, and I'm currently in the throes of putting all my launch plans into action. I've never launched a nonfiction before, so I'm brushing up on ads. I'm lined up to appear on some of my favorite personal podcasts, um, and I'm doing anything I can to try and get the most success from the launch as possible. I'll also be releasing an alternate cover hardback, which is looking pretty slick in my opinion, as I'd love to create something that looks sharp and people are proud to have on their shelves. I'm so, so curious to see how all of this goes, and I'll be sure to bring you guys along for the journey. I know collaborations can be pretty niche, but I know that there's value to be had from this book, so I'm excited just to get it out there and to see what it does. The Patreon-exclusive Great Writers Learn miniseries is currently being enjoyed by all of my wonderful patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. The incredible John L. Monk and I had a blast putting this six-episode miniseries together, and we cover a range of topics that can benefit authors of all experience levels, including book covers, marketing, and bad behaviours for authors, to name but a few. If you're interested in finding out what all the fuss is about, then you can get instant access to the two hours of bonus content over at www.patreon.com patreon.com forward slash guess what great writers share in fiction news i'm rounding down to the final edits of episode one of when winter comes and i'm in the process of sorting the release dates for the subsequent volumes uh, i put a lot of steam into these books so i'm interested to see how they perform when they do come out they'll also be the first published books in my brand new horror imprint devil's rock publishing which officially launched this week not a loud launch a nice soft launch um, but people have been asking a lot of questions about my plans for a horror imprint and it's all now alive and kicking. So if anyone wants to check it out, then you can just go over to www.devilsrockpublishing.com uh, and I'll put a link for that in the show notes as well. For any horror writers listening to this podcast, I am also, I've also recently announced uh, a call out for submissions for a horror anthology that I'm putting together, which explores the other side of life. That's to say death. So if you want to get involved, then again, just go over to devilsrockpublishing.com and I'll put a link in the show notes for that. A quick reminder that if you want to learn how to supercharge your scenes, then the sensational Jay Thorne is hosting a free five-day online event in which he'll take you through all the principles you need to write and revise compelling scenes that will exponentially improve your novel or nonfiction book. The course will be running from 15th to the 19th of June. And if you want to get involved, there'll be a link in the show notes for you to click straight on through. This week's guest is the immensely talented YouTube sensation, Jenna Moresi. Jenna generously shares her writing journey and knowledge through her Writing with Jenna Moresi channel, and is the best-selling author of The Saviour's Champion, with the sequel arriving in late September of this year. In this conversation, we take an incredibly deep dive into Jenna's rise to YouTube stardom, what it takes to make it as an author on YouTube, and the realities of living the public author life. We also cover the benefits of diversifying and maximizing your income streams for financial security, as well as how to cultivate viewers into superfans. Based off the content of this week's interview, I'm posing the question to you guys. How successfully do you engage with your readers and or fans? If you want to answer that question, just jump over into the Patreon group or the Facebook group and get involved. But now, without any further ado, we'll dive into the interview with the one and the only Jenna Moresi. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Jenna Moresi is a half-human, half-weaponized robot hell-bent on overthrowing mankind. She's also a best-selling author specializing in so cute you could bath romance, interspersed between extreme violence and bloodshed. A Silicon Valley native, Jenna hosts a YouTube channel with over 210,000 subscribers at the time of recording, where she uses her passion for storytelling and background in business to help other creators navigate their writing and publishing journey. When she's not writing or tubing, Jenna enjoys listening to music, cuddling with her dog, and kissing her fiancé's gorgeous face. Who doesn't? Her other talents include prolific cursing, spilling, dropping things, accidentally making people cry, and cooking. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love that. <laughs> no worries. I absolutely love that intro. I, my first question springs off of that, which is, how, how are you so gifted at accidentally making people cry? Um, okay. <laughs> have you got an example? <laughs> uh, yes, I do have an Oh my gosh, this is the one that always comes to mind. Okay, well, here's the thing is I'm very sarcastic and I, I'm... I don't know. I'm I'm constantly joking around, and um, I, I even at you know 33, I'm still not used to the fact that not everyone gets my sense of humor, and I'm constantly making jokes and not realizing that oh that was that apparently wasn't an appropriate joke. And the one that always comes to mind is I was in high school and I was on in the leadership team, like the student council, and we were going around hanging up flyers. And there was a girl that I was working with at the time named Ashley, and we were um, hanging up flyers on classroom doors. And um, she said, don't forget to shut the door. And I said, don't forget to shut your face. <laughs> and then she said, Jenna, that was uncalled for. And I said, your face is uncalled for. And then she said, why do you have to be so mean all the time? And I said, why does your face have to be so mean all the time? And I thought she was just playing back with me. It was a your face joke. I mean, everyone knows your face jokes are jokes. Absolutely. She started, she started crying and I'm laughing because I think that you know, we're bantering. I'm laughing. And then I realized that those are real tears. And then I'm like, wait, are you actually crying? And the other girl with us, I forgot her name, goes, haven't you done enough, Jenna? And then um, from that, literally from that point on, Ashley was like the sweetheart of the class. From that point on, I was like blacklisted. No one liked me. No one would talk to me in that class because I made sweet little Ashley cry. But to this day, I think it's not my fault because everyone knows that your face joke it's just a joke. I did not actually want her to shut her face. They're just empty and hollow. I used to live with a girl that used to just constantly do that pretty much every sentence I said. And it got to the point where he's just like, oh, do you know, do you know that kind of exhaustive, oh, I'm just, I don't know what to do. All I can do is just sigh. That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there are some jokes that are just so obnoxious that you know they're all, people are always kidding. That's like your face, your mom, um, name of your uh, sex tape. You know, those mm -hmm. are things everyone knows. It's it's not serious, but Ashley didn't know, and it ruined my reputation in that class. Oh, man. See, my head's now gone to how many your face jokes can I fit into this interview, but I'm going to try and be <laughs> professional. <laughs> and every sentence, I'm just going to throw one in. Um, but let's, let's dive in a little bit to your writing and your journey. I'd love if you could tell my audience a little bit about how you got into the world of writing and what your journey has looked like up until this point? Um, well, in terms of how I got into writing, I've literally wanted to be a writer since I was six years old. Um, in the first grade, we used to make construction paper books every Monday or Friday. It was one day a week. And um, we would write our stories, we would illustrate them, and then we bind them with construction paper. And from that point on, I was hooked. My first book was called The Funeral, and it was about dead cats, which tells you everything you need to know about me <laughs> and my mental stability. Um, my teacher was afraid, but pretty much from that point on, I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I knew very early on. Um, in terms of my journey from that point, it was the same as a lot of writers. You know, my family was like, you said writer, but you mean doctor, right? You mean <laughs> CEO, right? So not a lot of encouragement there. Um, and so by the time I got to college, uh, I had been writing stories and whatnot my whole life. But once I got to college, I was like, okay, I'll do the realistic thing and I will get a business degree and I'm really good at math. Um, I'll pursue something in that you know, area. So I got a business degree and I got a job in finance and I hated it so much. It was soul crushing. And I would come home and just drink and be like, this is the rest of my life. I'm going, I was a stockbroker. It's mm. like, I'm going to be 
fucking dealing with the stock market the rest of my life and handling all these annoying ass customers and working with people I don't like. And at this point in time, I was still writing for fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to write a book and see if I can make it a lucrative side job. And if I can do that, I will, you know, feel like I'm doing at least something in my life that's worthwhile, um, even if my day job is hell. And so I started writing uh, my debut novel on the side. Um, fast forward a few years. Um, at this point, I'm still working in finance and I'm almost done with my debut novel. I had started to build a little bit of a platform. I had a blog, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, my fiance, um, had a major accident and broke his spine. And so uh, I quit his job, quit his job. I quit my job uh, to sign on as his full-time caregiver. And I had to, you know, obviously stop my blog. I had to stop writing for a while and just focus on helping, you know, taking care of him, helping him relearn to walk and all that stuff. And a few months down the line, I, uh, he was getting better enough where I could start uh, writing again. And um, when you deal with a situation like that where someone you love, you know, almost dies, uh, it kind of makes, it changes your perspective. It makes you look at things differently and sort of makes you realize that you don't have a lot of time left on this planet. You could die at any moment. And so I decided to take a risk and I didn't really enjoy blogging at all, but people had told me I would be really good at YouTube and I had always been terrified of the thought, but my mindset had changed. I decided to give YouTube a shot and um, as a way to potentially build my author platform, I thought if I get a hundred subscribers, I'll count it as a win. I had very, very, very low expectations. And now I have over 210,000 subscribers it's and incredible. millions of views. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I cannot emphasize enough how much I did not expect it. Um, and not only is writing my, you know, fun side job. It's my full-time job. And I was mm -hmm. able to make it my full-time job after just my debut novel, thanks to trying out YouTube. So that's where I'm at today. It's a long that's, journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's incredible to see, obviously, the rise of success through such adversity is something that a lot of people, I think, admire and can learn a lot from. I'd love, to, I'd love to dig a little bit into the early days of your journey into YouTube, because like you say, it's a terrifying thing to approach. And I think it's something that a lot of people have definitely dabbled in or are interested in. But mm -hmm. aren't sure what it takes to get onto YouTube, how to actually make a real success of it. So, what mm -hmm. did the early days of YouTube look like for you? When, before you posted that first video, what were, what was your your thought pattern there? Well, um, I was scared shitless. I really, <laughs> I did not want. I mean, I'm. Uh, I'm kind of a charismatic person, you know, I'm loud and I'm goofy. And a lot of people assume because of that, that I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. I'm an introvert like most writers. I prefer, you know, staying at home. I don't like going to parties and things like that. I'm just loud. <laughs> so <laughs> I was not excited about the idea of putting my face on the internet. Um, but what I did is I scripted about 10 videos and then I filmed them before I ever posted any to my channel. When I finally posted one, I felt like I was going to throw up. I was like, <laughs> nauseated. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I think the biggest mistake I made early on is that I was trying really, really hard to be mostly professional with a side of silly, you know, like a little sprinkle of myself. Hmm. So um, I didn't cuss. And if I did cuss, I would bleep it out. Um, I, I tried to, you know, look fancier in my videos. I tried to, I don't know, I just try to sound like an adult, I guess. And um, my videos weren't performing. They weren't doing well. No one was really watching. And um, I got to a point where I was like, well, fuck it. No one's watching this anyway. So I'm just going to actually talk about what I want to talk about. And I'm going to talk the way I want to talk. I'm just going to be myself. Mm -hmm. And once I did that, my channel took off pretty much overnight. It was an instant reaction. It went from Amazing. like a hundred, a hundred subs to like 7,000 subs <laughs> in a week. It was crazy. And it was funny because I was at my sister's bachelorette party at the time. And so we're all hanging out and everyone's like, ah. that's a good place to be for something like that to happen. Yeah. And I'm just like staring at my phone, like you guys, and no one understands the severity of what I'm going through because it's, <laughs> my sister's bachelorette party. I'm like, I have no one to be excited about with this because we're supposed to be excited about the bride. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it was just an overnight thing. And the, 
the lesson from this is not cuss a lot in videos and you'll do well. It's just <laughs> that um, because I have friends who are great on YouTube and they're have the total opposite format as, as I do. It's just authenticity makes a huge difference. People can smell a phony a mile away. So if you're yourself, it'll make people a lot more comfortable and a lot more interested in what you have to say. So that's always my number one advice for people. So do you attribute your change of demeanor entirely to the overnight success? Or do you think there were other factors there that you can maybe think of that, that helped spread your video? I think it was in part that and also uh, the topic. I mean, the topics that I was talking about before are still topics that I talk about, you know, on my channel today, self-publishing, uh, marketing, uh, writing tips, things like that. But um, the video that kind of launched me was the nine weird habits of writers. And um, <laughs> it, de it definitely helps to include some uh, relatable, funny stuff to talk about. So now I've made it a habit where at least once a month, I have something that's silly on my channel and it could still be um, potentially helpful um, or informative, but the main point is that it's satire, it's funny, and it's there to make people laugh. And so I made the video, I think that the two videos that launched me were the nine weird habits of writers, as well as um, the, I think it was the worst parts about being a writer and like <laughs> the thumbnail was being a writer sucks, something like that. And it's just like kind of ranting in a funny way that people can relate to. And I think a lot of writers tend to feel like they're alone in this. It's kind of a lonely profession. And seeing someone on the internet who's going through the same shit as you kind of, it, it's, it's refreshing and it makes a difference. Yeah. And what, what scale on the timeline did all, this all happen? Because if I've got my dates right, your first video or your first public video is currently up on YouTube, um, launched in July of 2014. And then your first novel came out in August of 2015. So was the acceleration in that timeline or was it sort of after that first, your debut novel It was, launched? it was before my debut novel. I think it, it was, it wasn't, that was so, that was many, many moons ago. I can't remember the, <laughs> I can't remember like the exact dates, but it wasn't, it, it definitely, the, it took off before my debut novel launched. But when my debut novel launched, I had like 9,000 subscribers. So for, you know, for me, that was a huge jump from the hundred I was aiming for, but it's nowhere near where I'm at now, which is the, you know, 200 plus thousand subscribers. So it, yeah. it had started taking off, but it, Pretty much uh, around my debut novel, I was at 9,000. And then after my debut novel came out, I think because it adds some credibility to the advice you give, then I had another huge boost and I went from like 9,000 to 50,000. And that's when it started to get very real. Like, oh crap, mm. this is, I'm a, like, I'm a YouTuber now. This is very bizarre. Yeah, no, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit further because I can imagine there are a lot of people listening to this who like I say, like the idea of YouTube, but maybe haven't launched their first novel and think they're not credible enough mm -hmm. to actually spread that message to um, record these videos unless they've released a book. Was there any, was there any hang up beforehand of you being in that situation and how did you overcome that? Absolutely. Um, I, what had happened was that um, I had a blog and um, I shared a lot of my writing on it and I had followers who would write me and say, you're really good at writing, could you critique my work? And I kind of used that as a way to um, build my audience at the time. And a lot of them were like, you're really funny and charismatic, why don't you do YouTube and give writing advice? And I was like, ha ha ha, no way, um, I'm not even published, I'm not a credible source. But I got that message so often that after a certain point it was like, well, maybe I am credible because people keep asking me to do this. Um, so when I started my channel, I was very honest about the fact that I'm not published yet, you know, I'm just writing my debut, you know, and I think being honest and upfront makes a huge difference. I'm not, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm just giving my advice because my advice was requested. Hmm. And if you don't want to take my advice, you don't have to, you can go elsewhere. It's, you know, 100% your prerogative. I wouldn't blame you. So I think so long as you are honest about why you're starting the channel and you're honest about your credentials or lack thereof, you know, it makes a difference and never, you know, putting yourself out there as an expert if in something that you're not an expert of. And also I, to this, to this day, I will not cover a topic that I don't feel like I, I'm qualified to talk about. One of the most requested topics I get asked about is short stories. 
I haven't written a short story since I was in college. Um, <laughs> so I won't talk about them. I won't give advice because I don't feel like I know what I'm talking about. I reserve video topics for things that I do feel like I'm qualified to discuss. Absolutely. I guess it comes back to that argument of when in your writing career, can you call yourself a writer? And ultimately, for some, re- for some people, that's when you have a relationship, but for other people, it's just when you're performing the art of writing and you're doing it regularly right. and you're putting the words on the paper. I think personally, you're a writer once you write. Yeah, um, I agree. I, th- I think you're an author once you're, you've published something and you've sold at least one copy because I'm, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very like logically minded and those are the actual definitions of writer and author. Writer is someone who writes and an author is someone who has made money off of their writing. And so that's how I see it. And if anyone wants to refute it, just open a dictionary and I'm right. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> I have the backup to prove it. Um, right. What does it mean to be a writer on YouTube? Um, well, if, oh man. <laughs> okay. Good well, question. it, it, it hmm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way. My first thought is that it's a double-edged sword there. It's definitely has so many positive, you know, elements to it. And if I could go back, I wouldn't change the decision I made. But there are negative elements and I don't think it's for everyone by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Being a woman on YouTube, like removing writer from the equation, being a woman on YouTube means you are opening yourself up to tons of abuse. I get death threats, I get rape threats, I get, um, you know, show us your tits, I get all kinds of stuff. And it's obviously being a man on YouTube, you're going to be opened up to abuse too, but it's not it's, you're going to get more as a woman. Mm. It's just statistics. Um, so being a woman on YouTube is tough. Being a writer on YouTube is also tough um, because you're open. You're opening your personal self up to that abuse and your writing. And for example, I have a lot of writer friends, obviously, who aren't on YouTube. And obviously, we all deal with the same crap of negative reviews or someone being like, oh, you suck, that kind of crap. Um, But being a writer on YouTube, it's coupled with um, someone maybe not liking you as a person because most writers, readers don't get to know them as a human being. You're just a name on on a book cover. Um, On YouTube, there's a face and there's a lifestyle and people meet my fiance, they meet my dog. Um, And so when I do receive, um, you know, negative comments about my writing, it's usually coupled with me as a person. It's like, I don't like your writing because I don't like you. Um, so, so there's, there's some of that involved. I'm making this all sound very grim. Basically you, you ha- really have to have a thick skin to be a writer and a YouTuber. Um, that said, the whole reason that I'm releasing my third novel and um, I'm already a full-time writer and I'm making, uh, I'm making more money as a writer than I made working that comfortable, normal job in finance. And that's largely because of YouTube. It's not common to only be be releasing your third book and you're already a full-time author. Um, So it's all because of YouTube. So for me, I would still pursue this path. It's just, I like to warn people that, you know, you really do have to have a thick skin because people can be nasty. Mm. No, I, I can completely imagine that. I mean, you, all you have to do is just scroll through some of the comments on any video and you'll see the venom that, that appears on the internet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How, uh, just to flip that on its head then, just to, to balance the, the dark with the light, what are some of the, the benefits of, of being a writer on YouTube? Well, like I said, um, it completely launched my platform. I am doing what I love as a living much quicker than I thought I would. I thought I'd have to have 10 books out before I was doing this full time. Um, And I'm on my third and this is my full time gig. Also, as much as, you know, I emphasize the, um, the trash that can come with it, it is in no way comparable to the love. Um, I would say at least, at least 80% of the you know, comments I receive are so loving and supportive. Um, I have really amazing subscribers and readers. I have really amazing fans and they're so sweet and so supportive. Um, Having a platform on YouTube also opens you up to many streams of revenue. Um, This is something that I've discussed with uh, Sasha Black 
mm. we are both friends with, yes. um, that uh, having multiple streams of revenue is really, really important as a writer. So I'm not solely dependent on my book sales. I also make ad revenue from my YouTube channel. I have sponsors who sponsor my video content. Um, I have a merch store, which is a lot easier to promote on YouTube because YouTube has a merch shelf right below all of your videos. So everyone can see your merch anytime they watch a video. I have um, affiliates, things like that. Um, I have classes that I promote through my sponsorships. So it really opens you up to a lot of different revenue streams so that uh, you can sort of not only make more money faster, but um, make more money comfortably. So you're not just dependent on one stream and then. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. If something happens there, you're totally screwed. I'd be very interested to know how, if you were to look at your typical production of a single video for YouTube, say mm-hmm. a 10 minute video, what would a typical step-by-step process look and how long would it take or how long does it take you each week to prepare the script and to actually get that video up onto, onto YouTube? It's hard for me to look at it as one video because I batch film, which is where you film a bunch of videos in a day. Um, it's very exhausting. <laughs> uh, I don't think people realize that by the time I'm done filming one video, I have a half hour of footage that needs to be trimmed down and edited. And my videos are usually about 10 minutes long. So about 20 minutes of that needs to be cut. Um, so typically what I usually say is that, uh, I schedule about cumulatively one week out of the month is devoted to producing all my video content for that month. So one out of your four of your weeks is going to be devoted to YouTube. The other three weeks can be writing stuff. So, um, that usually covers a couple days to script content. I definitely recommend scripting as opposed to just uh, freeballing because if you just uh, wing it, you're going to ramble and it's going to be a really long, boring video. Um, so a couple days for scripting, a couple days for filming, and a couple days for editing, trimming, that kind of stuff. It's a little bit easier for me because now I'm at a level where I have an assistant who can trim the content for me. Um, so that helps. But if you're just getting started, that's not something you're going <laughs> to have access to. So I would say give yourself a week to have all the content for the month done. That's heavy. Yeah. It's <laughs> very, very, very heavy. It's a um, lot of work. Yeah. And obviously, as you've mentioned a couple of times, it, it's built your platform. You have this, well, obviously nearly quarter of a million subscribers on this on this platform. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I'm massively curious about is obviously you write fiction and you, I mean, I'd argue that your channel is relatively nonfiction in terms of you're speaking about the art of writing. How, mm-hmm. how much of that actually translates from the... I was going to say the readers and the, the viewers into sales, if that makes sense. Um, I was just discussing this with Sasha the other day and I forgot the percentage, but uh, <laughs> it was, man, I wish I remember. But um, yeah, it's not going to be, you know, a lot of people think, oh, 210,000 subscribers, they're all buying the books. That's no. not how yeah, it yeah, works. Yeah. You know, not everyone <laughs> who, come, who comes to my channel is there, you know, because they're a fan of me. Some pe- a lot of people just want free writing advice. And that's kind of, that's kind of like the risk you take with any platform you build. You know, you know that only a certain percentage is going to buy it. I can't remember what the exact percentage was, but I think it's, it's around like, I want to say like, closer to 10% or something okay. like that. So it's a, definitely, it's not the full scope of things. Also, um, I, I kind of look at it like this. The people who subscribe to my channel, I look at them as they're there for the writing advice. Then when you go to my other social media platforms like Twitter or Instagram, you'll see uh, I have like 22 thousand followers on Twitter and about the same on Instagram. Those, 
these people discovered me through YouTube and then they went to my other social media platforms because they want to get to know me better. And now mm. they are more of a fan of me and my writing and, you know, my books. And so I feel like those numbers are more reflective of who's going to be buying the books. Um, so as you can see, it's, you know, definitely a smaller percentage, but it's still a good percentage in terms of, you know, selling books. It's just people have unrealistic expectations that everyone who subscribes to your channel is going to, is going to buy the book. And that's just, that's not how it works. Absolutely. They want, they want free information. Mm. No, I mean, I'm in a very similar situation, which what I'm, I'm way, way further back than you in terms of trying to work out how to brand my nonfiction and my fiction and try to work everything into each other so that they're cohesive, but at the same time, the right people are getting the right information. Did right. it take much did you actively strategize in order to do this or was it a case of a lot of this just, just fell into place for you? Um, there was some, um, strategy as well as some happy coincidences. For example, I write adult fiction. Um, my books, uh, feature sex, they feature cussing and they feature graphic violence. And, I cuss on my channel, I make dick jokes, I <laughs> talk about stabbing characters and characters dying, and if you are not comfortable with that content, you are not going to watch my channel, and that's great because I, I would rather target my target audience, you know, who's going to buy my books. And I'll get lots of messages from people saying, you know, your channel's good, but have you considered not cussing so that younger people can watch? And I'm like, well, not really, because I, I, I want to talk the way I want to talk. I like talking as an adult. And also I'm trying to target my target audiences, people who will enjoy adult fiction. And it doesn't benefit me to get I mean, maybe this sounds selfish, but it doesn't benefit me to have a bunch of 11-year-olds, you know, watching my channel. What if they buy my book? And then they're like, mom, what's a cock? You know, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be in that situation. So, so a lot of it is, this is just my personality. This is how I talk. So it worked out, but it's also how I write. So um, the way that I built my platform, the kind of humor that I use on my platform, it all translates into uh, my writing as well. So um, it's half strategy half oh that's a very happy coincidence i'm glad it worked out that way yeah i mean it's e it's easier when your strategy is you and that's just right. your personality and that's you trying to pursue um and it also makes me laugh when people do send those sort of messages where it's like maybe you couldn't swear and you're just like if you don't want that i'm sure there are thousands of other channels in which you can get the same information but catered exactly. towards your child and, and that's the thing is most of the writers on youtube write young adult fiction i'm one of maybe two that I can think of. <laughs> the, I can only think of myself and one other uh, writer on YouTube who write adult fiction. Everyone else that I can think of writes young adult and they don't cuss in their videos, maybe seldomly. They don't make the penis jokes and all that stuff. And they attract a much younger audience. So when people tell me, why don't you try not cussing? It's like, there are like at least 30 <laughs> other channels for you to go to. They, they already got you covered. I'm going to continue doing my thing over here. Yeah. It's the same as people that get offended by any kind of content. It's like, you don't, you just don't have to if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. That's fine. Right. <laughs> no one's making you watch this. There's no, no gun to your head. People don't like to take responsibility, but let's not let's not dig down that particular path. Um, <laughs> I I would be doing a massive disservice if obviously you've mentioned it a couple of times. Your uh, latest book, The Savior's Champion, is coming out soon. Um, the Savior's Sister came out in 2018. The, and, the reverse. <laughs> the Savior's Champion came oh, out in 2018. The Savior's Sister's coming out soon. Twist and round. My bad. Um, <laughs> But obviously there's been quite a, a big gap between the release of those two books and mm -hmm. that hasn't really affected you financially because you've got all these other avenues, you've, you've diversified right. your income, you're using the different social media streams, which is mm -hmm. like an incredible strategy and one that I'm massively envious of. Um, oh, thank you. How, how have you found actually writing the second book and taking that time in... I mean, I'm, I sometimes get confused as to whether or not I'm in a bubble of people who fast release or a world in which independent fiction is slowly moving towards a fast release model. Because I come across people like you and other writers as well that still are making it by doing the slow releases and working on their books. How, how, how does the process look for you and, and what's it taken to get the Savior's sister to this point? Um, well... <clears throat> Excuse me. First, I'd like to clarify that if I could do the fast release model, I would, because I think, I mean, there's a 
bazillion benefits to it. Plus, I enjoy writing, like it's my favorite thing to do. Mm. And if I could just write every day and pump out all these books, I have a million ideas for books. I would love to do that. But because I'm a caregiver, uh, my fiance, as I mentioned, broke his spine. He he can walk now, but he suffers from uh, a chronic pain condition called CRPS because of uh, the broken spine. And so uh, I still, you know, take care of him in many ways, not nearly as much as I did before, but he has at least one doctor appointment a week. It's usually closer to two mm. or three. And I go to all of them with him because, you know, I, I need to be kept informed. Um, he has physical therapy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. And the reason it took me so long to release the Savior Sister is largely because I kept having to take, you know, um, three month, four month breaks from writing because he was having a new surgery or things like that. Um, so it's doing the slower model has worked for me largely because of my platform. Um, I was able to do slower releases of things. When I released the Savior's Champion, I just released the hardback and um, the ebook. Then six months later, I released the paperback. And then, you know, some six, maybe six months after that, I released the audiobook. So there were new releases I was able to do along the way that helped create a kickstart or a boost in, um, you know, interest in the series among different types of readers. Um, plus, you know, we all know that eventually the sales start to plateau at some point. And um, I had ad revenue and I had sponsors and things like that to fall back on. So, um, that's largely why I was able to do the slow release method. But um, as my platform grows larger, I'm starting to, you know, hire assistants and things like that. And I'm hoping that I can start to uh, release a little bit quicker. I'll probably never be able to release multiple books a year because the books I write are really really fat. Uh, the Save Your Sister is 169,000 nice. words. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, big book. So, um, <laughs> so I'll probably never be able to write like, or release like five books a year. But even if I could just do one a year, I would be so thrilled. And that would be so much that that would be, be so much fun for me. But right now, you know, my family has to come first. And so that's, that's why I'm using the slower model, but I'm making it work. Mm, absolutely. I, I hope you don't mind me asking. I'd love to dig a little bit more into that whole family comes first um, part, mm -hmm. because obviously I can imagine there is a, a bit of a stretch between sometimes playing that tug of war between, you know, wanting to do the writing and obviously having to deal with the, the family stuff as well. Um, mm -hmm. For listeners who might be in a similar situation, how do you, how do you keep your, your mental well-being at a point in which you can continue trying to do both sides of that? Well, um, <laughs> um, my mental well-being, huh? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how, how great it is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sort of. Half kidding, half honest. Um, well, it helps that uh, my fiancé, Cliff, he's extremely supportive. He was, when I first started writing my debut, he was quite literally the only person who was on my team. All of my friends at the time thought it was the dumbest thing. They were all like, oh my gosh, are you going to be the next Stephanie Meyer Twilight? Oh, is it about vampires? Uh, everyone that I worked with obviously thought it was so stupid. My family was displeased to say the least. He was the only one who was like, Jenna, you're an amazing writer. I've read your stuff. You have to do this. You'll, you'll regret it if you don't. And he, he's always been my biggest cheerleader. Uh, he's a musician, so he understands the creative element. Um, as his caregiver, um, a lot of people in his situation, um, you know, suffering from chronic pain, CRPS is actually the most painful of the chronic pain disorders, which is just fantastic, you know. Yeah. But uh, most people in his situation, they become very, uh, like, uh, hardened and bitter. Understandably so. I'm not hating. But he, um, he, isn't he's very uh he's you know when i take care of him like for example the main thing is is that sometimes his pain will leave him bedridden for days at a time and if he's bedridden that means that i'm going to be getting his food i'm going to be getting his meds things like that and um every time i do that he's like you're an angel you're my goddess i love you so much thank you he's very appreciative and that makes it really easy to not kind of feel dragged down because a lot of caregivers get burnt out. It's easier for me to not get burnt out because the person I'm caring for is very, very appreciative. Um, that said, I still have, I still juggle far more responsibilities than 
pretty much anyone I know. <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I'm basically, you know, in charge of the house. I'm in, you know, taking care of my guy. I'm running a business and I'm writing books. And to, you know, I, I still have days where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just too much stuff. And I'm stressed out. I think um, the ways that I personally handle it that has been helpful for me is one, being honest with Cliff about it. Like if I'm having a day where I just am like, I'm too overwhelmed, I will tell him and he knows, okay, like, I mean, he, he's already going to do everything he can do on his own. Um, but he knows, especially in that time, like, okay, like really help Jenna out in whatever way she needs. Um, also having a supportive community of people who get it to a certain degree. Um, so that, you know, if you need to vent or you just need to talk about, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just so exhausted. Uh, for me, I found that a lot of parents can relate to a certain degree because it's not the same as caring for someone with chronic pain, but you know, caring for kids can be tough. Mm -hmm. And so, so they can relate to the exhaustion. And I've also found that, um, for me being realistic about timelines, like for example, I would love to do rapid release, but I can't. And I'm honest with myself about it. I'm not going to be able to release a book every year for, for a while. You know, I, mm -hmm. I've accepted that and I create, um, realistic goals, realistic, but challenging. And, um, I, try to work towards those. And if I don't, if I'm not able to reach certain goals, I try not to beat myself up about it because I have to keep in mind that, you know, they're, they're, there's someone's life that I'm, you know, trying to take care of at the same time. So there, you know, you, you kind of have to be realistic about your priorities. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but that's no, how I do it. No, that's perfect. Obviously it's, it's commendable what you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I know that, uh, that, that could be quite sore for some people, but, um, I think that could be useful for some people listening to this show. Um, when it comes to creativity and drawing inspiration, where do you go to keep yourself energized and keep the creative well filled? Well, um, I, <laughs> uh, for me, I always say like, I just have a very big imagination. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people talk about like, oh, read for creativity and, you know, watch movies to get ideas and to get inspired. And I'm not saying that's not a good option. I love reading, but I don't read to get ideas. Um, I read, you know, to relax and have fun and unwind before I go to bed. Um, I've just always had a very wild imagination. And I think that um, there comes a point when society sort of tells you that creativity is pointless and it starts beating that out of you and you stop thinking in that way and you kind of lose the inner child. I was a little shit growing up and I was very... <laughs> I was very rebellious. Well, not really, actually. I was kind of a square, but I was rebellious in terms of imagination. And um, everyone told me that I had to start being more realistic. And I was like, never. And I kind of just never lost the inner child. I still, I all of my favorite stories and movies and things like that are the same as they were when I was a little kid. The kind of stuff I want to write is the same as it was when I was a little kid. I, I really love uh, like the old... Uh, heroic romantic fantasy movies like um, Jason and the Argonauts, The Seventh Voyage mm. of Sinbad, Clash of the Titans. Those are still, they were my favorite as a kid. They're my favorite now. And that's the kind of stuff I like to write. Stuff that's like sword fighting and monsters, but also the guy gets the girl, that kind of stuff. And um, so for me, it's just very natural. Imagination is just how I've always functioned. It's been this way since I was a kid. And I just, I, I always encourage people to try and find and embrace the child within you that you lost over time. It's not your fault you lost it. Society can be a dick, but if you find it again, it'll be so much easier to cook up ideas and, you know, write your stories. Mm. Don't you find that interesting that I, I found particularly as I, as I became a full-time writer and as I started pouring more, well, as I, even before I was a full-time writer, as I started pouring more pouring, and pouring more into my, into my writing, that imagination, that, that play just comes back to you with such, such force Right. And it, and it just sticks with you. And it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of, I don't know, without getting all smushy, it's quite, it's quite magical to, to be on this side of things. You no, know, you're 100% right. I remember when I was in college, that was kind of my point when I was felt like bogged down by life and like, okay, fine, I'll do the realistic thing. <laughs> it, 
this is going to sound so cheesy. I'm fully aware, but I started having a recurring dream, like literally once a week. And so I'm a big, uh, Greek mythology nut. Like that's, that's my shit. And I started having dreams that I was, and I'm also an art nut. And I, I was dreaming that I would like end up on this beach filled with all these like ancient Greek statues and coins and things like that. And every time I get there, I'd be like, it was very familiar, like, oh, I've been to this place before and I was supposed to be looking for something. So I would show up on this beach with all these statues and I'd start examining everything, looking for something and I wasn't sure what I was looking for. And I had this dream all throughout college and going into my career and I had, it was bothering me, like, what am I, like, what does this mean? What am I supposed to be looking for? And I sort of thought maybe I'm supposed to be getting back into doing what I love, which is writing these epic adventures and things like that. And once I started writing, the dream stopped. So I was like, aha, I figured what I was supposed to be looking for. So I think, I really do think that there, that for people like us who are like naturally like the creative types, I think that there is sort of like a subconscious need to do that. So I, I really do that's why I always encourage people just try and find your inner child because it probably wants to come out. It's probably <laughs> dying and is bored. The oppression of society. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one more question for you and then we're going to jump into uh, one of my questions from a patron, which awesome. uh, the final question for you from me at this point is uh, I'll stop diddling and in a second I'll get to it, <laughs> it which is uh, why Jenna Moresi do you write? And I think maybe it goes back into a little what we were just saying. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I, it's like my favorite thing to do. It's been my favorite thing since I was a kid. Um, I love creating stories. I love creating, I, I've always been a picky reader. Like even books that I loved, even as a kid, I would be like, this book is great, but this is how it should have gone. Like I just, I'm a control freak and I, I want my leading characters to look the way I want them to look. I want the story to go the way I want it to go. I want the world to be the way I want it to be. And um, it's just so much fun for me to create all these worlds all these people, um, exactly how I want, (laughs) exactly how, what I want to read. And, um, growing up, you know, I was a huge bookworm, but, uh, I very rarely found stories where I was like, this is exactly right. Like this is, this is perfect. You know, not saying I'm a perfect writer, but just, you know, you, you, you write what you want to read, you know? And so it, for, for me, it's, it's just, uh, it's so much fun. I mean, most people it's like fun for them is, I don't know, skateboarding or going out partying for me it's like oh I just made this uh demon character and his name is blah 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 and he's so cool and he's funny and snarky like that's that for me is fun and it really is just writing (laughs) for me is is playtime and now I get to do it for money which is just blows my mind I'm so grateful it's amazing okay so um I've got a a question now sent over from one of my patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share and uh, I believe it's a name that you might be familiar with which is Yanni Jade yes yes (laughs) hello hey who asked how long did it take for you to write the savior sister and edit it edit it to the point where you were happy with the end result it, that's a very hard question for me to answer because I kept having to take like three, four month long breaks because um, Cliff, because of Cliff's CRPS, um, he had, he's had more surgeries than I can count. I, I couldn't even begin to, you know, to even try. Uh, he uh, has had a lot of procedures. He's tried a lot of different treatments. Some have worked, some have haven't. And so there were a lot of times where I just had a stop writing so my best guess would be two years but it's a total shot in the dark I genuinely have no idea because Mm. you take so many breaks you lose track (laughs) awesome okay so final round now which is the quick fire round so I've got 10 questions I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible Uh, answer as quickly (laughs) as possible feel free to pass if you do struggle um but it's all just in fun are you ready okay (laughs) all right okay Robocop or Terminator Terminator romance or gore Romance. Who is your favorite character that you've written? Uh, Tobias and Layla. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your author role model? Uh, I don't really have an author role model, but the first one that does come to mind is uh, Gail Carson Levine, which is shocking since she writes books for kids, but still. I love her. <laughs> what star sign are you? I'm an Aquarius. What's one place you'd never go? <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, pass. <laughs> what are you currently reading? Oh, um, oh, fuck. 
I'm not, I'm actually not reading anything right now. I just finished a book and so I'm between. What's your favorite lazy Sunday food? <laughs> Pizza. Favorite sport? I hate sports. <laughs> <laughs> How many marshmallows can you fit in your mouth? Are they big or small? I'm assuming big. I don't know, maybe six, I'm guessing. Beautiful. That's 10 questions. I've got one bonus question, which is where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? Oh, oh yay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my website is jennamoresi.com. That's J-E-N-N-A-M-O-R-E-C-I. You can also obviously find me on YouTube at Writing with Jenna Moresi. Uh, that's my channel. Uh, the link is youtube.com slash Jenna Moresi. I'm pretty much, if you type in Jenna Moresi on all social medias, you will find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I am on Facebook. And of course, uh, my books are available all over the place. Uh, the Savior's Champion uh, is all over the place. And The Savior Sister is coming out in September and it's available for pre-order right now. And it is currently all over the place as well. So wherever you like to buy books, you can check it out there. Beautiful. That's perfect. I'll put all those links in the show notes for everyone so you don't have to scan all over the internet. Um, but one last thing for me, which is Jenna, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. It's been a genuine pleasure. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thank you. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by horror author Julie Heiner. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writer Share and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writer Share. Until next time. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love and Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at DominoSoundCO to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.